1: Welcome to DNF, a podcast where we talk about Formula One. I'm Jessica Smetana. He's Spencer Hall. He is fresh from his trip back home mm-hmm. from the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And this episode is basically going to just be me asking Spencer questions because he got to witness all of the glory, all of the pain, all of the frustrated fans in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Las Vegas Strip under the light, Spencer. I have so many questions to ask you. So I can't let's wait. get started. First off, what is what are you dying to tell me right now about the weekend you just had?
0: Oh, I am dying to tell you that I got a head nod from Rod Stewart. That was pretty oh. great. Oh, yeah. Little man, enormous knocking. Just an enormous Scottish skull that man has on his shoulders. So that was cool. I'm also dying to tell you that I don't think you can properly understand the scale of the race unless you were there because it was very hard for me to wrap my head around They really did run an entire F1 race through the middle of Las Vegas without closing the entire city down. Closing significant portions of it, yes. Closing the entire city down, absolutely not. It was, there is no underplaying it in terms of what it was in. The scale. No, in scale or in like, you know, somebody tipped 200 grand at the win. You know, the win, I, I think their total payout, they they got a million dollars total on the floor at the win. It was the entire F1 experience just writ large against the Vegas setting, which in itself is just, it's ludicrous. It was wild to see, like, in some, what was it? It was, a, it was a successful race. And I think that's, that's where they wanted to land. That's where everyone wanted to land. I don't think anybody wanted this to fail. You especially don't want it to fail for... All the locals on the ground and all the businesses who've been so inconvenienced by all of this. And you don't want it to be a bad race from a fan's perspective. It was none of those things. So a minor a, a minor miracle can sit with, uh, with major stakes and even larger uh, like set dressing.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe we should start with the actual race itself, because the actual race itself ended up being a pretty good race. Mm -hmm. And I think the circuit ended up surprising a lot of fans who were maybe not expecting much when they saw that the outline of the circuit looked like a pig. Um, Flying pig. Yeah, and so my my experience with this race was very similar to watching uh, the Jap- Japanese Grand Prix, which is that I went to sleep and didn't watch it live and then mm-hmm. watched it the next day, which always takes away an element of, you know, surprise, if you already know. I already knew Max Verstappen won when I woke up Sunday morning because mm-hmm. I can't not look at social media when I first crack my eyeballs open at the break of dawn. So, like, for me, it wasn't, you know, there was still other stuff to watch when I did my rewatch, but probably like a lot of East coast fans, you didn't get to see the spectacle live. So I was yeah. kind of like absorbing it the next morning and ended up kind of getting the feeling that like the race itself was pretty good. It was pretty fun. There were, um, some nice overtakes, which I definitely wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple safety cars. Um, there was a real battle. I think at the end of the race, Uh, between Leclerc and Verstappen that you know haven't haven't seen a ton of this season so what about the circuit and what about this race do you think ended up making it a successful and interesting one to watch for fans
0: yeah Max described that as fun it's very wild to hear Max Verstappen use the word fun to describe anything especially after the week he had in Las Vegas because he was famously grumpy the entire time. Said the track was nothing special, appeared to be very displeased with a lot of the pomp and circumstance. Um, we do need to talk about the driver intros with, um, I believe that was Bruce Buffer.
1: Oh my god, yes, it yeah. probably the best Bruce part or of Michael.
0: The <laughs> I get my buffer, I get my buffers mixed up,
1: Spencer. Your guess is as good as mine.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, yes, it was Bruce Buffer. Uh, okay. who, we'll talk about Bruce Buffer, but I, I, I think a lot of the nerves came this week from the track, both from uh, a drain hatch, uh, a drain cover coming loose in uh, FP1 and ruining the initial debut of the track. But I think everyone was anxious to see what it was going to look like competitively. And it turns out that the track was uh, was marvelous, it was great in terms of competitive balance. It's a little baby Baku. Uh, In terms of the kind of dynamics, there are long straights and these sort of catch points where everybody has to slow down and traffic can get caught up. Uh, Turn one got a little squirrely when uh, coming through there uh, because uh, Max had his elbows out all day. Uh, George Russell also had his elbows out for Max. Uh, Consider, by the way, Max won this race and George Russell just turned smack into him at one point. Like just got full NASCAR (laughs) and turned right into him. Uh, a move so stunning that Max even seemed surprised by it because it wasn't aggression. It just more seemed clumsy than anything. This was a good track for overtaking. It was a good track in terms of making up gaps. It was a great track for, I think it was a great track for straight line speed with uh, a managed but nervy sense of when to overtake, which is why the finale um, where we had Charles Leclerc, I don't think there was anybody who wasn't rooting for Charles Leclerc, to pass Checo Perez coming in on the last lap. Um, that's really all you want. You, you want some decent overtakes. You want some good ones if you can you know, ask for that. I think we got those. I absolutely loved, uh, loved the final overtake because visually, there's nothing like watching anything under those lights. Like Everything looked fantastic. Seeing the sparks flying out from uh, Leclerc's car as he finally went in for the number two spot almost felt like a win. Almost felt like a win for Charles Leclerc.
1: Yeah, I so another F1 podcast I listened to, uh the Missed Apex Pod was talking about how they felt that the DRS lanes in in this uh mm-hmm. track were perfect and what was able to allow us like yep. some real solid overtaking. Um which definitely was was what it seemed like and uh probably attributed to like it actually having an, an excited feel to it. Yep. Plus, you know, the temperatures were not super hot, so there was, you know, a little bit less tire uh wear than normal races i think too which helped and then when you have safety cars obviously you have people on different uh strategies kind of running at different times so it adds a little element of um kind of mixing things up a little bit that you don't necessarily always get in formula one especially at a street circuit so yeah it it was super uh fun to watch the end of this race and i also thought like credit to formula one because i think the entire idea of this Uh, Grand Prix was what if Formula One down the strip wouldn't Mm -hmm. that look cool to have a shot of all these cars going down the the Las Vegas strip where you have all these iconic lights and scenes and all of these things kind of happening on the sides and it did look really cool like I was it it was visually stunning to watch and I think that that was the entire point of why they did it there and then Mm -hmm. kind of work backwards as like, okay, so what do we like logistically? What does that actually mean? We have to, you know, pay $250 to build a paddock. Now we have to tear down trees in front of the Bellagio fountains. We have to erect all these grandstands. We have to screw up traffic for a few months. Um, but that was the payoff. And I, you know, I'm not a Las Vegas local or a, a business owner or someone who works in one of the casinos. So I can't say if it was worth it for them, but I think ultimately for fans just watching at home, you probably were, pleasantly surprised that this was, it was a treat to watch.
0: It was not just a treat to watch on television. It was from every angle. If you walked around the track, it was spectacular in person as well. Huge, like any F1 event, kind of incomprehensible from the ground level. know you do end up watching a lot of the race if you're there in person you end up watching a lot of the race on huge screens or on someone's television or in the media center that still happens but visually i think all f1 wanted like from the from getting the first phase of practice messed up by a technical issue by some of the yes complaints from locals which were 100 percent deserved because the middle of town completely barricaded and Cut off and rearranged for the benefit of the spaceship called F1 landing in the middle of your town. That's a lot to ask. And a lot of the initial sort of, you know, grumbles from drivers about whether it was going to happen and whether we were going to get attendance. You know, that was through FP1 and FP2. That was the question was, you know, okay, did we overshoot demand? Was there going, or were there going to be people in the stands? Was anyone going to show up for that? Ultimately, they got what they wanted because they got a banger. That's that was it. It was were we going to get a spectacle? They got one, and on top of that, as a bonus, you got a really decent racetrack out of it. Like, I like that track. I think it. I think it yields to some like fantastic conditions for competitive racing. That's really all they wanted. And Toto was right. Toto had this little monologue after, uh, after the debacle in FP one with uh, the the drain hatch and or the drain cover and he said you know no one's going to remember this europeans don't even watch this they don't even come out for this first part and he was 100 percent right like he was absolutely 100 percent right this is there, there if you want an episode title we have an, a good option but there's another title your subtitle toto was right toto was 100 percent right
1: Yeah, he was right about that. Um, So, do you think the race makes up for the practice debacle completely? Do you think like the practice debacle now, no one thinks Mm -mm. about ever again?
0: No. No, 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 no one will think about it. It happened. It's dangerous. Uh, I, you know, I was sort of stunned that they over that that there was that much of an oversight in terms of what could happen out there, especially because the drain cover thing. You know, this happened to Jensen Button at Monaco. It is, and it's happened at Baku. You would think that would be the kind of thing that they had looked at, but I also will give them this much credit. It's also the kind of issue that really only live racing conditions or live practice conditions can uncover. Yeah,
1: I will. It's like, if, if you're not super familiar with what happened, Sergio, or, uh, hey, sorry, my dog just went crazy on a treat. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos Sainz's Ferrari essentially sucked up a water yeah. valve cover like into that's a, his that's car.
0: downforce so powerful that it popped it like a cork.
1: Yeah, and, and also Esteban Ocon had damage from it as well. And uh, Formula One decided, ooh, that's a shame. So we're going to inconvenience all of the fans and not tell them that they're not going to be able to watch any of practice. But we're also going to give you a grid penalty for this, yeah. even though it's kind of our fault.
0: Not kind of a, ba- a bad night. A bad night for any fans who turned out there, and a bad night for Carlos Signs. Um, there is the question: if you want to go, like, okay, what really sort of marred the event? Like, what? What's? What were the ugly points? The ugly point was nobody managing to come to a consensus about whether we were going to uh, pardon Carlos Signs for that for something that he was not his fault and didn't do. That in large part had to do with certain teams maybe not wanting to make up rules on the fly that that was that's what i'll say and you can imagine what teams might have issues with say recent fia f1 decisions to uh make up rules on the fly they were not going to accede to that it wasn't going to happen on the ground so it was kind of dead on arrival with well maybe we can make an exception for car i i nine nine not giving. I
1: mean, all, aren't all Formula One rules made up on the fly? Like, it does seem like every week there is a precedent that ha- maybe had been set before that then flies out the window and a new precedent is set. And then that one doesn't matter, like, mm-hmm. in a year, anyways.
0: Yeah. They're a little loath to do that. And I think a practice session incident was not going to pass muster with. The sort of gravity, the like volume of conviction that you needed, that amount of outrage that you needed, it was like nah, it's Carlos and Ferrari, and it was a little like a relatively small thing for everyone else. It was a big deal for Ferrari because that is an expensive repair, by the way. Yeah, you know there will be some ongoing fallout from that in terms of cost because they had to do a whole new chassis, and that is the most expensive repair you can make to the car.
1: So we're going to get to some. Yeah, we're going to get to some questions in a second. But now that you've been to all three of the uh, current U.S. Formula One tracks, Mm -hmm. does Vegas get second billing behind Austin? Would you put it ahead of Austin? And is Miami consensus worst track now?
0: So from the fan track experience, Coda is king because it is a 100 percent pure F1 experience. It is. A great track with fantastic sight lines. I think in terms of fan experience, Kodas is the best value. It is the most bang for your buck. In terms of spectacle, Vegas will not be beat. Vegas won't be beat by anyone else in terms of spectacle on the F1 schedule. Really only Singapore comes close. And Singapore does not have a giant video ball in the middle where the Charmin bear can wave to you while you turn around uh, its circumference. So that to me, like Vegas can't be equaled in terms of spectacle. And that puts, that puts Miami third. And I think that's where Miami belongs.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, well, that brings me to one of the first questions from Mark Ward. What's the sphere like in person? Uh, I have been wondering the same thing, Spencer, the sphere, like I want to Mm -hmm. hate it. I want to talk about how stupid it is and what a waste of money it is. Um, But it looked really fun and cool. So what was that actually like?
0: Uh, In terms of a presence in the race, it's hilarious because you're watching it and your eye kind of keeps coming back to it. You can ignore it for a while and then suddenly, you know, the camera will go down and you'll see Verstappen turning around and there's a giant emoji looking at him as he turns. That's insane. They would do uh, on the final lap. I like the thing that they did where they kind of used it as a partner in the broadcast. They would use it as commentary. They would use it as signal. Uh, When the checkered flag came out, right, like, you know, the entire sphere turned into like a checkerboard pattern and it's sitting there waving. That's... I loved that kind of stuff. There's only... There's a limit, by the way. They they didn't want... They they steered away from red and green during the race because they were just like, if drivers see red or green, they'll just, you know, either speed up or slow down. We can't have that. So they steered away from using those colors on the sphere uh you said it was stupid and a waste of money that is correct it is 100 percent all of those things that money should have been just given to people who don't have it however um, that's not how our financial overlords work they like to spend it on stupid loud things if they had to spend it on a stupid loud thing a gigantic glowing ball in the middle of las vegas is fine with me It, it i think it it made it's a great visual element for the race. The Charmin Bear appearing on it was a little disturbing. I was not ready to see <laughs> the like butt wiping Charmin Bear pop up. Those bears are a little into themselves.
1: Um the they did a focus group on the face, right? Like they showed people a bunch of different kinds of cartoon faces mm-hmm. and they landed on one that I actually think is pretty cute.
0: Yeah. People no, they,
1: people got paid to to do that, I'm assuming.
0: Did. No, they did. And um I there's another funny visual element too, like spheres over here. But then when you're going down the strip, you know, people are like, oh man, the visuals, the clamor, that's incredible. That's all true. I did laugh though, because sometimes the cars would go by uh some of the shittiest casinos, like you know, or hotels like Polo Towers. Polo Towers is in the back of some of the shots. Casino Royale, where I have lost tens of dollars playing blackjack switch the casino royale is there nice. casino royale is the place that i believe still has a burger king in the back oh yeah. wow yeah casino burger king yes because the casino burger king got f1 time which i can, love
1: can we talk about the bruce buffer thing really quick i don't think uh-huh. we spent enough time on it so he was announcing the drivers and if you haven't seen this video yet please Great. watch this video it is so funny sergio perez had no idea where he was supposed to go and so he just awkwardly stands there while bruce buffer's like screaming his name in his face it was one of the funniest things i've probably seen from an f1 race this year
0: so in person it was even funnier because buffer if you hire bruce buffer you get 110 of bruce buffer's effort and focus for that moment bruce buffer was in the tunnel like the path the, the tunnel between the grid or mm-hmm. the paddock and the and the grid, right? So he's in the tunnel when I was walking by him, and he's bouncing. He's going like <laughs> whoop, 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 up and down, right? He's, <laughs> he's amped. Like when he comes out, he is prepared. He's also going to pronounce everyone's name loudly and mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. So he gets out there with uh, Sergio Perez, and the drivers don't really know what to do with him and they don't really know where to stop for interviews because there's a lot going on this car that's supposed to get in over here there's bruce buffer uh, and there's the commentator who's going to interview them who's you know weaving in and out of things and bruce buffer uh somebody told checo to sort of go in i guess at the wrong time so he goes sergio checo paris and uh um checo's right there like like it's like <laughs> like the camera pans for maximum comedic effect and they're like face to face with each other and
1: he just stands there.
0: And he just stands there. <laughs> and he doesn't no leave. Who doesn't leave? Doesn't know what to do. Um is great. It was great. And I totally identify with Checo there cuz I'm sure he was like I have no idea. Nobody's told me what to do. I'm just where, huh? Excuse me. Shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I'm we don't I don't want to do this. We we don't need to do these intros. We, why? What are we doing here? I have no idea where it's, it's like when you have a, a wedding and you do the rehearsal and they're like, oh, so you're just going to go down there and then you stand there and then you do this and this. And then it's like, wait, I didn't I didn't catch that. What? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Everyone's looking at me now. We're on TV. Yeah. Uh another question spencer that i, I really want to talk about what would each of you purchase at the merch stand with a 200 voucher so uh mm. i thought that formula one handled the practice session debacle among for the fans incredibly poorly they didn't tell the fans that they weren't going to resume uh until right before and then the fans had to leave because it took too long to figure out if you know things would be fixed or not and then there was a long delay and then fans who were waiting had to go home because it was too long and people that worked Mm -hmm. the event had essentially like timed out i guess and couldn't work any anymore so it was a huge lack of communication kind of clusterfuck and there's a class action lawsuit now among fans who are pissed that they got like eight minutes of practice uh which you know also worth noting the practice sessions are the least expensive event to go to so people who don't have thousands of dollars to spend on the Grand Prix, probably spent a decent amount of money to watch practice and then didn't get anything for it. Mm -hmm. Didn't get really treated like the, you know, fans of the sport and the paying customers that they were. And so Formula One puts puts out a statement, not apologizing, but just being like, hey, Sometimes shit happens. And then they put out a further statement saying, hey, here's a $200 voucher to the merch store. We're not going to refund your tickets, but you can knock yourselves out. And it's worth noting that a uh, merch store baseball cap with Formula One branding, the last time I went to a race, cost $90. So there's not a whole lot of stuff that you could probably get. Also, at that point, you probably just want cash. You probably do not want a sweatshirt or one of their little Vegas like t-shirt things. That's gonna cost like $150, right?
0: Yeah, this is correct. Um, I would want, um, if I had 200 bucks to spend, I'm gonna put it towards, I'm gonna put it towards what I think is the best looking piece of F1 gear, which is the orange McLaren jacket. If you can get an orange Mm. McLaren rain jacket, one practical, two high vis, so if you're in an environment where your safety is a concern, 100% the go, and three, it's you know it's adjacent to Florida colors, so I can go ahead and work it into the existing sporting scheme. That's what I would put it towards.
1: Yeah, I do the girl math thing where I'm like, if I have $200 for free, that means if I spend like $300, it's still free. Yeah, because that, yeah. I'm uh, yeah, like two thirds of savings it is free. Savings. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm probably splurging on like a McLaren hoodie, which I actually I was just telling Doug this, our producer, but I I uh, got a McLaren hoodie last year at the Austin uh race, and it is made of like the finest silk. It is like the comfiest mm-hmm. thing. I, I I will say their sh- stuff is very very expensive, but the quality is there. It is my favorite hoodie and I am I've been mad at myself for like a year cuz I got it like it's probably like a half size too small. So the sleeves like right up when I wear it, so I don't wear it that much, but I love it. It is gorgeous. This now has turned into a commercial for the merch store, but if you have $200 yeah maybe you'll get like one thing because no, i think
0: the secret is if <laughs> formula you have one's t- expensive if you have 200 dollars to spend at the uh, formula one shop you have a nice start
1: yeah exactly yes that's mm-hmm. right you can get a keychain yeah and a hat uh,
0: oh yeah i came back and told my kids i was like here you've got some cheaper stuff because i Not buying you. I'm not buying. (laughs) I'm not buying a ten year old a one hundred dollar piece of clothing. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, here's
1: a here's a cheat code. Go on Etsy, and there's fan made Formula One merch Mm -hmm. that is not even uh, like less than a fourth of the cost of the officially licensed stuff, and it's all cute. I got my friend a hand embroidered like Monaco Grand Prix hoodie Mm -hmm. for her birthday that was like probably forty or fifty bucks. It's so much cuter than probably a lot of the stuff you can get at formula one races and someone like an actual, like real person probably made it and you won't spend $3,000 on a baseball cap. Yeah. So,
0: um, Etsy plug. There is a question I do want to address in here, which is, uh, which we'll have to do a correction and a correction and answer on, which is, uh, from, that's a plane. 08. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but is Stroll one of the more underrated drivers on the grid? 19th to 4th is pretty amazing. Um, or is that strategy and safety car playing a part of it? I thought we were talking about Esteban Ocon here. Esteban, Esteban Ocon is the one whose delta was absolutely bonkers. Uh, because I believe he qualified 17th overall. Qualified 17th and ended up finishing Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period
1: at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. So Lance Stroll finishing uh, in the top five was something that like, when I woke up Sunday, I was like, wait a second. I'm like, what happened here? <laughs> well,
0: it, well, yeah. That's So based on qualifying alone and on some of the practice runs, the reliance on straight line speed and a couple of the penalties and the way things shook out meant that there could have been some serious surprises. Okay. Coming out of qualifying, remember there were two Williams in the top 10, right? Uh, Because Albon and Logan Sargent were uh, respectively sixth and seventh coming into it. And they looked good. They they looked game. They looked 100% ready to put up a serious result. So I even had a couple of people who were betting on like outside podium for Albon because they were doing they were performing so well is is stroll underrated no i think he's probably the beneficiary more than anyone else uh, more than or as much as ocon of this tracks individual quirks of the sort of straight line speed leading to decent overtake leading to um, a couple of apparent results there. I don't think he's underrated 100%, but it's good for him. He's probably
1: properly rated. Like, of the the drivers who, um, like, have their seats, and and there's not really that many this year on the grid, but historically, like, he's not that bad of a driver. He's actually delivered some impressive results, but he also is not a driver of the caliber of any of the, like, top you know, seven or eight guys that you actually think could compete for a championship in yeah. the right circumstances. And as we've seen, like, this is a little bit of recency bias. It's also a little bit of like, he got, he got, I don't want to say lucky, but like, he was able to take advantage of the turn one fiasco in this race, right. And gained a lot of positions yep. that way. And he's like, like I said, he's not a bad driver. He's not going to like put it into the wall mm-hmm on turn one for no reason he was like, opportun
0: listen he was opportunistic this race yeah and he had yeah. good pace that's it yes good pace opportunistic took advantage of it congratulations to Lance Stroll it was a very strong showing I mean he's no Esteban Ocon but but you know he's, he's certainly not Alex Albon who I, by the way when you talk to F1 people Albon is one of those guys who people people just his value is you want to talk about underrated like I think everybody knows he's good driver in a crap mm-hmm. car but I think that maybe our understanding of how well he's valued among F1 people, right? Among back-end people, like in mm-hmm. the paddock, I think that we might not, we might be undervaluing that. So I,
1: he's he's underrated and yeah. Stroll is properly rated. Who is Lance overrated?
0: Lance Stroll, properly rated. Albon, underrated even in terms of people who already know that he is you know, a valuable asset. Overrated? Um, God, that's such a terrible word.
1: <laughs> it really is not nice. <laughs> also, it is, I, it,
0: is a, it is a not nice word, especially when you're talking about people who are not always in control of their circumstances, right?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. I mean, you we know? you talk about this in other sports all the time, right? Like there's, you have to have a little bit of luck, a little bit of right place and right time and talent to be successful in most right. sports where you're not, you know, team sports, especially. Um. And we watched. Just, uh, we watched Patrick Mahomes throw a beautiful football last night to a receiver mm-hmm. who dropped it through, went through his hands to win the game. So. I'll tell
0: you, like this for for this race, and this race only, in terms of overrated, um, the entire Alpha Romeo team. That no. would be. No. I know you go, man. We're not expecting much from them. They delivered less.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. I want to talk about Valtteri's butt calendar in a second. But mm-hmm. um, no, no pun intended with that transition. Uh, Doug just sent this uh, screenshot from someone on Twitter who posted a picture of a Ferrari hoodie that was on sale for $328 uh-huh. at the loss. Last... So if you got a $200 voucher, you couldn't even buy a Ferrari branded Puma hoodie. Because you, got 128
0: you would plus tax to get there.
1: Yeah, you would still have to spend like another two hundred dollars
0: uh-huh. to bring
1: that sucker home. That's just unbelievable. Also, Spencer, a kid sweater, hundred and eighty dollars for a kid's
0: Man, Mercedes don't, hoodie. Don't don't buy a kid hundred and eighty dollar anything. Like just don't, don't buy a
1: kid. Don't have. They're a gonna kid. destroy don't, it. Don't don't kids. No, <laughs> sorry, that's my own personal bias. Anyways, yeah. where are we?
0: Um, I would, I also wanted to take uh, Dakota Moyer's question because it's an interesting one for the American perspective. Uh, if Las Vegas has celebrities, the atmosphere, good racing, and overtakes, then what's the purpose of Miami? It's a good question.
1: It's a good question. I. This is kind of what I was saying when they announced the Las Vegas race. I was like, I feel like there's a lot of overlap between the kind of fans and the kind of celebrities that formula one wants to attract to races. Like Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know if you're going to pick one of these races, if you're going to do Miami or Las Vegas, why you'd pick Miami when it's like outside in 95 degree weather in essentially a parking lot. And it's now we've had two years of sample size and it hasn't been that good Mm -hmm. of a race. Um, Whereas Vegas, like there's always celebrities around it's got proximity to la um it it has had a better race it's a small sample size again but i don't know what do you think
0: ditch it trash it yeah i i do not i I do not enjoy the miami race experience because the weather is oppressive the logistics of getting to and fro uh, don't compare to either austin or to vegas right um just because of where the track is and where all the things you want to do in Miami are they are not one and the same. It is not a great track in terms of competitive racing or setup. It doesn't driv- have,
1: drivers generally don't like it. Don't it like doesn't hack.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have any of the spectacle that uh, Vegas has. It doesn't have any of the sort of compelling technical racing and classic F1 experience that Coda has, you know. Um, it's not in terms of a fan experience, it doesn't compare to either of them because I will say this as restrictive as the Vegas experience might have been for fans. The people I talked to who paid money for tickets enjoyed it. And two, um, there were a lot of sneaky ways to watch the race in Vegas because it's impossible to close the circuit. My favorite being... Fans who were uh, there were all of these overhead pedestrian bridges that they essentially blocked off not with i thought they were going to be blacked out so that you couldn't walk over and watch the race from them no they were kind of meshed out so you could still very much see the race as long as you kept moving because they had security guards who were trying to keep people from clogging the bridges keeping people moving so there were people who just walked back and forth up and down the escalators uh watching the race as long as they kept moving Nobody had a problem with them. So there were some people who got a free race that way. Uh, shouts out to them. I thought that was very clever. Uh it, Miami doesn't compare. So I think that's an issue for Miami. The money's still there. Obviously, Stephen Ross really wants that race to continue happening in Miami. If there's a difference between the two, it's that Miami's a little closer for the European crowd and i think there's a sort of greater familiarity and literacy with miami uh for them i think for americans though like like we said it goes austin vegas um miami it doesn't mm-hmm. seem it doesn't seem mandatory in the league. yeah
1: i mean that being said like if the vegas uh race and the austin race I, I mean none of this really works in a free market but if they're able to like make the prices for miami more like appropriate for fans and it's not it's less like hospitality driven and yeah. like vip ticket driven and there are um people who can actually afford to go i think that there it is a good option because like it's a you know it's on the east coast it's not out of the it's not out of the way for a lot of fans like you said like no. act, like real real fans not like the VIP people that can fly in on their private jets and like spend right. a ton of money on it. Um, it but I just, yeah. you
0: just said make a Miami event more inclusive.
1: Basically. Yeah, I know that's like, it's like, Miami. it's not probably going to happen. I like, I also right. think they probably would need to make a few track adjustments there to make it a better, overall race like i i think actually i want to i want doug to put in max verstappen's uh whole two minute long answer to the question about racing in las vegas here because i thought that he actually gave a pretty thoughtful answer to the question um and we'll we'll put that in right now you can listen to that and then we'll we'll discuss it
2: um i can go on for a long time but um i feel like of course a kind of show element is important but I lack emotion. And for me, when I was a little kid, it was um, about the emotion of the sport, what I fell in love with, and not the show of the sport around it. Because that's, I think as a real racer, that shouldn't really matter. I mean, a car, first of all, a racing car, Formula One car, anyway on the street circuit, I think doesn't really come alive. It's not that exciting. I think it's more about just the proper racetracks. You know, when you go to spa, Monza, you know, these kind of places, they they have a lot of emotion and passion. And for me, you know, seeing the fans there is incredible. And for us as well, when I jump in the car there, I'm fired up. And I love driving around these kind of places. And of course, I understand that fans, they need maybe something to do as well around a track but I think it's more important that you actually make them understand what we do as a sport because most of them just come to have a party, drink, see a DJ play or a performance act. I, mean, I can do that uh, all over the world. I can go to Ibiza and get completely shitfaced and you know have a good time. But that's what happens, you know, and actually people, they come and they they become fan of what? They become, they want to see maybe their favorite artist and uh, have a few drinks with their mates and then go out and have a crazy night out. But they don't actually understand what we are doing and what we are putting on the line, you know, to perform. And I think if you would actually invest more time into the, the actual sport, what we're actually trying to achieve here, you know, to, as a little kid, we grew up wanting to be a world champion. If, I think the sport would, put more focus onto these kind of things and also explain more what the team is doing, you know, throughout the season, what they are achieving, what they are working for. These kind of things I find way more important to look at than just having all these random shows all over the place. For me, yeah, it's not what I'm very passionate about and I like passion and emotion with these kind of places, which I love Vegas, but not f- to drive in a van car. I love to go out, have a few drinks, throw everything on red or whatever, you know, to be a bit crazy, have a nice food. But like I said, emotion, passion, it's not there compared to some old school tracks.
1: What, what did you think of, of Max's answer there, Spencer?
0: I do think, no, I think he's, he's 100% correct because the way that the sport is experienced at the continental level, uh, and then the way the sport is sold internationally; those are two different things. By the way, I say international; I just mean not European. Those yeah. European races, you know, when he talks about classic tracks like Monza, um, that's true. That's that, that's all 100 percent true. Um, on the whole, as Americans, we're overcharged for sports. Oh, we are. Yeah. We 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 pay a ridiculous premium for sports, and which seems sort of antithetical to the notion that television money should end up lowering these prices. Now, the live experience ends up becoming. Uh, an, an even pricier proposition. And I don't think that's good for the long-term health of the sport. But at the same time, too, it's very much a practice. I think that over time, those prices will come down, hopefully. Um, I don't think they'll ever be uh, the great value that you know a motorsports experience like NASCAR will be. But I think over time, if you develop that kind of thing and make it more accessible, I think people would turn it into something that they do in person. Um, But the idea of making American racing more accessible and a better value for fans, I think that's something they should really look into, especially now having done Coda, which does a much, much better job Mm -hmm. than either the Miami or the Vegas race in terms of making those things uh accessible. Yeah. It's never going to be cheap. I just I don't think that's how F1 will ever roll. But in terms of a better They're
1: selling three hundred (laughs) dollar hoodies.
0: Correct. I don't, but in terms of a fan experience, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think he lied.
1: Yeah, I think that he hit on something that I also agree with, which is that there's been so much investment, especially because this Vegas race was a Formula One promoted race, like the first race that Formula One itself is putting on. There isn't, it's not put on by like Stephen Ross and the, you know, Hard Rock Entertainment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is Formula One's race. They're promoting it. They're putting it on. They're investing the money into the paddock and all of the infrastructure, Um there is so much money being put into that, and not mm-hmm. enough money being put into the overall fan experience of like really understanding the sport, really understanding what's at stake for them. Like, if you're a driver, you don't want to be, you know, risking your life to go 200 miles per hour down a straightaway while someone's listening to like Tiesto five, yeah. <laughs> five yards away from you, not aware of what's going on. Like, I, I do empathize with the fact that like drivers, Feel like maybe you know they're not getting enough of the attention here because there's so much. Like I guess like you you could argue that like you know putting a concert at an F one race is an investment in a fans. Like you're trying to give the fans like this I, festival I will say experience. Th- but the the,
0: con- the concerts for for all of the fans I know and I talked to like everybody goes. Oh, I talked to a lot of fans. Okay, listen, I talked to like twelve. That's
1: like, a lot. I, I That's counted, a big sample size, right? Yeah. I was
0: like, okay, let's get a good sample size, right? <laughs> and like like nine of them were not people that I knew. So Uh and talking to people who did that and talking to, to, yes, 12 people, uh, the concerts and the kind of the extras, people like that, you know, like that is like at Coda, you know, hey, the killers are playing tonight. That was very much a I'm going to take time out of my day to do that, because Uh I think a lot of the ancillary stuff, a lot of the secondary stuff, that kind of spectacle, fans do value that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's something I've heard consistently that they do enjoy that in terms of uh by the way one benefit of vegas that all of the entertainment all of your options are very close like i think logistically people focused a lot on how the logistics uh, were difficult in vegas and i think that largely most of the brunt of that fell on locals um, and i don't think they were happy about that at all i will also say i think a lot of the local benefits thus far from what i've seen were top heavy a lot of the drivers and a lot of the off uh strip places it was a normal vegas weekend a lot of the places that were in the strip and were closer to that closer to sort of the nucleus of the f1 uh spectacle they killed it you know Mm -hmm. those people did not go far they largely stuck to the Bellagio to the Venetian to Mm -hmm. Aria they were very much right around the grandstand so as a concentrated experience I think that benefited the fans who attended I think anyone looking for a future Uh, In attending in the future, I think there are also ways to do it where maybe you're not spending the entire earth to do that. I know on Friday night, because I looked, you could get, you could get a hotel room on the strip for like 70 bucks a night.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's like the, the balance though, that formula one needs to find is like, do things that fans will be excited for, like have a concert there that your fans are interested in, Mm -hmm. but don't let it take away so much from the actual sport itself. Like, yeah. There has been so much of the push and pull between like entertainment versus sport and competition over the last couple of years as Formula One's become more popular with especially the American fans who watch Drive to Survive Mm -hmm. that I think it sounds like at least Max Verstappen's feeling that and he feels like There needs to be a better balance and so a race like this that's at 10 o'clock local time which none of the drivers wanted none of them ended up liking
0: none of them knew the time when i interviewed liam lawson he's like yeah i no clue what time it is right now (laughs) i am george russell said he'd taken four naps um i can tell you yeah personally i took two naps on saturday of like 15 to 20 minutes each and it still quite wasn't enough to keep up with the demand that the schedule placed on everyone. So I think that start time's going to come up. That was one yeah. thing I heard repeatedly from people who were involved with the race that the start time was going to end up changing. Um also um let me let me ask, answer this question cuz this is another Vegas specific question, also kind of a weather dork question uh from Hannah. Uh should the how should the track have been changed to not being so slick? okay you're not really going to change the surface um it's a new surface it is a road driving surface by the way if you want to drive the rape the vegas course congratulations you can <laughs> in person it. yeah this anyone could do it um because those are public roads vegas has an interesting thing because it was one it, people go oh it was cold okay it was 55 degrees 55 60 degrees at race time and depending on where you were on the track so a little colder than i think f1's used to two vegas is a little more humid than people know vegas is i think there was 40 to 50 percent ambient humidity at the time and then there was the uh constant issue of you're in a desert and there's dust right so you have dusty track you have a cold track um that you know where it's difficult to warm up the tires lando's crash was terrifying yeah um like a real like a real offer like a serious serious like accident that was caused by lack of traction Which is going to be an issue whenever you have cold tires and kind of a moist dusty area right because remember vegas is where they have water that's why the city's there right that's why there are fields that's what las vegas means Mm -hmm. um that's where there's water so um there's even like there's even like some wetlands like a small little pocket of wetlands down there so it is a, a wetter environment than you think and it was a colder environment than everyone um i think anticipated
1: So overall, Spencer, as we as we wrap this, um, you had a positive experience here. Were you surprised by it? Were you expecting it to be more of a shit show than, um, you know, we were expecting? Like, what was your overall takeaway from from being there and watching this live?
0: It was overwhelming. It was like that's the, the word is that by scale and by experience it was an overwhelming project i think for everybody involved and um having a great race at the end of that was was the relief cannot begin to express i think the word the the, the feeling that i think most people had involved because nobody wants this to fail like nobody, I, you know, well, some even, of the
1: locals, maybe, maybe I don't,
0: didn't. I think the locals, okay, several of the locals might have wanted it to fail, right? Like the Uber yeah. drivers, the Uber drivers and cabbies that I, that I talked to did not seem overly thrilled because I don't think the business was living up to what they thought it was going to be. Again, remember, this was a very top-down benefit, I think, for everybody uh, in Vegas, and it was mostly concentrated around the Strip. But overall, in terms of drivers, in terms of everybody, like Max. Max is the poster boy for this race. Max, Max Verstappen his entire week. Um, say what you will about Max. I love the fact that Max is uh, 100% himself at all times and you are getting an honest and accurate answer. I think he sees things very coldly and I think I think sometimes you need that when you're talking about uh, a sport where there's this much passion and this much you know reality distorting money involved. Yeah. and max was the race max came in and said this track is not special this experience is you know too much you know i feel like a clown sitting up there i think those are all completely accurate representations of the vegas experience Like in the front end it was a little discombobulated to a lot discombobulated loud cartoonish uh, you know a bit much it, at one point i heard one one journalist say you know what are they doing to our sport this was pre-race <laughs> pre- which accurate 100% accurate. We talked on the show. It,
1: it's giving, like, they massacred my boy. Energy. A little bit. That's but why the, I'm laughing. <laughs> right. Not, not true. It's just.
0: But then the race happened.
1: Marlon Brando esque.
0: And the race was the best, one of the best, if not the best, of the season in terms of drama right so they didn't massacre your boy they did give your boy a makeover and at the end the boy ended up being pretty happy with it max verstappen in the elvis suit driving around on the victory lap singing viva las vegas pipe through his headphones made me cackle because (laughs) i think for everybody it was a collective breath of relief not only that it was over but that despite everyone's reservations it ended up being kind of brilliant there we go that's my review Kind of brilliant. Like, I know, like, my favorite is when, like, the hardcore, cynical UK uh, journalism crew, um, you know, they see everything with an extremely critical eye. And they were like, eh, oh, pretty, pretty good race. When they say pretty good race, <laughs> that means for everybody else, like, oh, it was fantastic. That was
1: great, yeah. Yeah, it was unreal. Uh, well... Uh, this has been, this has been fun. Spencer. I'm glad that you were able to go. I'm glad that you have a positive experience. I think you can just like get a transcript of the last five minutes of this. And that's your, that's your story. That's the, the finale of your story. Um, this is the first time we've probably ever done a episode of DNF where we haven't said the name Lewis Hamilton, no one. um, not a single time, but we'll be back after the season finale of formula one next week, I believe. Uh, and hopefully everyone has a happy Thanksgiving if you if you celebrate Thanksgiving if you're eating turkey this week enjoy it um, but I'm I'm happy that it didn't end in the disaster that it began in that was my takeaway
0: yeah I, in other words a delicious meal for everybody was had oh oh well Ooh, exactly. and I will be
1: having another one
0: on Thursday <laughs> bye y'all